Good evening and welcome to our evening service. Good to have you here this evening and good to have those joining us on Zoom as well tonight. We welcome Pastor Stone. Joshua is with us again this evening and uh, he will come now and read the scripture and uh, lead us in prayer. Our scripture reading this evening comes from Isaiah chapter 8. That's Isaiah chapter 8. We'll be starting in verse 11. Most of us know well uh, the Isaiah chapter 9 verses 8, or sorry, 6 and 7. But sometimes we forget that the actual context of all that comes there and that beautiful promise of the Messiah flows out of chapter 8. And so we'll be looking at Isaiah 8 and verse 11. Isaiah 8 and 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not say a conspiracy concerning all this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary, but as a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Both the house of Israel, and as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. For many among them shall stumble, they shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples, and I will wait on the Lord, who hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Here I am, and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel. For the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, should, we, should not a people seek their God? Should not they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. They will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry, and it shall happen when they are hungry, that they will be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom and anguish, and they shall be driven into darkness. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. As when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, and afterwards more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nations and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoils. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian, for every warrior's sandal from the noise of battle and the garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel for fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward and forevermore or even forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. 
May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege and ability that you have given us to be able to gather. O Lord, that we may come before your throne. Lord, not in our own name, not in our own power we come before you. For Lord, in and of ourselves, how could we stand before you? O most holy God, the creator and sustainer of all things. Before you we would sink away. Oh, woe is me, we would cry. But Lord, we come not in our own name, but in the name of our Savior and your Son, our Lord and our God, in the name of Jesus. Oh, what wonder that we may come in his name because of all that he has done for us through his life and death and resurrection. Oh Lord, clothed in his righteousness, we may stand before you, adopted as sons. O Lord, you hear our cries. Indeed, Scripture says that they are a pleasant aroma, like sweet-smelling incense wafting before you. O Lord, we admit how far we often stray, how we give way to the world, the flesh, and the devil. O Lord, cleanse us and renew us. O Lord, we thank you for your manifold mercy. O Lord, we rejoice. That if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. O Lord, we thank you for your precious promises by which we stand. Lord, we thank you for your word. These blessed words of hope. Despite the darkness, despite the hopelessness, as Isaiah looked around, there were none, it seemed, but him and his family that were following after you. All was in darkness, all was under a curse. But nevertheless, nevertheless, a light would come from Galilee. Oh, that wonderful Lamb of God, even as we remember afresh and anew, even this evening, we gather here to worship, to pray, to hear your word, and as we gather around the table, remembering his body that was broken and his blood poured out, for without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. O Lord, what grace and mercy has been shown unto us. Lord, we pray for those that are not with us this evening. We know that there are many among us that are sick. There are flus and COVID and colds and everything else going around. Some that are struck by cancer and others. Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you would give them comfort and peace and strength. Oh Lord, bring your word powerfully to their minds and hearts to encourage them where they are. We thank you for those that are able to join us by Zoom. And Lord, We pray for healing and strength for those that are in the midst of difficulty. And Lord, there are some even among us that are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, may they see their good shepherd. May they be strengthened by his presence, that his rod and his staff may comfort them. Oh Lord, even in great distress, we are amazed that you do not leave us nor forsake us. What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? Oh, Paul writes so many things. And in the end, he says, nothing in heaven, earth, under the earth. Oh, Lord, in you we may stand fast, for you hold us fast. Lord, we pray for this church, this congregation. We also think of Arnstein down the road as well, both looking for pastors. Lord, we pray that you would bring 
godly men to these pulpits. Lord, that you would raise up a shepherd for these people. O Lord, one that would teach your word with power and in strength and walking in holiness, O Lord. Lord, just bring all the pieces together for that to happen, O Lord. And even as they continue to wait, give them strength, give them peace, give them joy. O Lord, what a wonder that we serve the Holy One of all creation. O Lord, teach us anew your grace and your mercy and your love and your holy righteousness and justice. We know these things, O Lord, but teach us more, show us more, deepen our faith, O Lord our God. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, if you have your Bibles, please open them to Matthew chapter 1. That's Matthew chapter 1. I entitled the sermon this evening, I want a genealogy for Christmas. And when I came in here, Rial was like, are you going to sing a rendition of, I, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas, but I want a genealogy for Christmas. And I said, you really don't want to try to hear me butcher that. Um, although I was actually this week thinking of other lines that would work beyond just the chorus, but nothing really seemed to fit. Matthew chapter 1, and I'll be reading verses 1 to 16. When we come to the beginning of the New Testament, we are struck by a genealogy. These are the generations of, the book of the genealogy. And for some of us, when we hear the word genealogy, maybe two things stick out in our minds. One, scripturally. It's probably where we got stuck if we ever did a Bible reading program. Maybe we, we went through Genesis, we went through Exodus, we, we managed to get our way through Leviticus and all the sacrifices and all the different animals and, and festivals, and then we hit Numbers. And then we hit those genealogies with all those names that we could never even hope to pronounce, and we began to struggle. And I've always encouraged my people at Perry Sound, when you come to a passage like that and you just get bogged down, there's nothing wrong with turning on an audio Bible and hearing someone else struggle to pronounce those names as well. Um, because we all do. We all go, how do you pronounce that in English? And so we have these genealogies. But secondly, we think of genealogies as for ourselves. About 15 years ago, there was a great genealogy craze. All those websites went online, genealogy.com, the other ones you can think of, that would help you trace your ancestry. And many of us raced out to see if we were related to anyone important. Of course, that's what you want to see. You want to see, oh, well, where does my parents, parents, parents come from? And maybe I'm related to a king of England or of Germany or of someone else that was of some extreme importance. We all want to connect ourselves to someone in history that did something big and important. And... Many of us maybe even did that. We traced our family tree and maybe we found someone, maybe we kind of maybe were a little disappointed in what we found. Well, when we come to the genealogy as found in the beginning of Matthew, we come to a genealogy that's full of great hope and joy, but also great disappointment and cursing. And so let's read the genealogy together. Starting in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zeran by Tamar. 
Haraz begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Abinadab, Abinadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam begot Abinadab. Abinadab begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begot Joram. Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham. Jotham begot Ahaz. Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh. Manasseh begot Amon. Amon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shetiel, and Shetiel begot Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begot Ebad, and Ebad begot Elikim, and Elikim begot Azor, Azar begot Zadok, Zadok begot Achim, Achim begot Elud, Elud begot Eleazar, Eleazar begot Mathen, Mathen begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. As we read one of the three genealogies given to us in the New Testament of Jesus. We read of three genealogies. The first one given to us here by Matthew. Recording the genealogy of the king, as you would. The kingship of Jesus. Following through the Davidic royal line. Starting in Abraham and working its way finally to Joseph. We have the genealogy as found in Luke. Following beginning at Adam, all the way to the second Adam. And changing up the names in a few places, which we'll deal with in a couple minutes. And finally, the genealogy that we usually don't think of as a genealogy, but that is what it is in the beginning of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It was the genealogy of Him who is the Eternal. The One who is the eternally begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. But here in Matthew, we have a genealogy that starts with joy and with brightness, with names that anyone would want to be related to. This is Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew starts his genealogy as led by the Holy Spirit to start with Abraham, that great man of faith, who though he was once an idolater, worshiping demons in the desert of Ur of the Chaldees, modern day Iraq, Yet God, by his mighty hand, called him out of idolatry. He said, come, come, follow me. Come and I will make you a blessing. Come and I will give you a son. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And through your descendants, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. Or through your descendant, as Paul makes clear, it's the seed that is Christ. And what does it say? Abraham what believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham, that great man of faith, the one who forsook his land and went out into the land of promise, who died with only one small parcel of the promised land, a a tomb for his wife and for himself, but yet was promised the whole thing. He died in faith, waiting for that which was to come. We also find that he is the son of David. Who is David? The great king of Israel. The man after God's own heart. 
the one who was taken once again by God's mighty hand as a shepherd, taking care of his father Jesse's sheep, to stand before Goliath, to say, you come before me with all these names of these false gods on your lips. But yet I come before you in the name of the one true living God and David's great victory over Goliath and the kingship being handed into David's hands. We see his rule and his reign, his heart and his love for the Lord, his God. So much so that he desires to build God a grand house of worship where all the nations may come and bow down before the one true living God. But of course, God says, No, David, you're a man of war. Your hands are stained in blood. Your son will build this house. So God gives such a great and wonderful promise to David. We read about it in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 to 16. The Lord says to David, Then your days, sorry, when your days are fulfilled, and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I remove before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Here's what we call the Davidic covenant. The promise God makes to David that his throne will last forever. That there will always be one in the line of David. There will always be one who is the rightful king. And in fact, that king will sit upon the throne for all eternity We remember David's response. He falls on the ground and worships God and says, How, Lord, can you make my house last forever? I am but a sinner. You are the great holy God that you would give such a wonderful promise to me. As we continue down the genealogy, we find names such as Solomon. We think of his great wealth and wisdom that all the peoples of the earth came to hear how the Lord had blessed him. For the Lord had asked Solomon, what do you want? Victory over your enemies? Wealth? Power? Glory? Solomon said, no, I just want wisdom. Your servant doesn't know how to come in and go out before the people. Give me wisdom. And so the Lord blessed him with wisdom and everything else. The grand kingdom of Solomon, the grand temple, one of the ancient wonders of the world built under his rule. We read of King Hezekiah. And the great revival that happened at, those t- at that time. The people kept the Passover. Something they hadn't done in the longest of times. The people's hearts were turned back to the Lord their God. Away from idolatry. We think of King Josiah. That young man who tore his clothes when he heard the reading of the book of the Lord. The book of Deuteronomy. That had been found in the temple. Who cried out to the Lord. And brought about a grand revival in the nation. What a wonder to be related to those people. What a grand genealogy we read of here. These men and women of faith recorded for us who stand in the line of the king. But yet we also see a genealogy full of sadness, of sin, and of a curse. 
Maybe when we think of our own family, we think of individuals in them that we, we kind of the black sheep of the family, ones that we don't want to talk about. Maybe because even of our Christian faith, we have become the black sheep of our family with others looking down upon us because we desire to follow after the Lord. But these black sheep, as it were, within the genealogy of Matthew stand out as those that led the people of God astray. Even going back to Abraham, as much as Abraham was a man of faith, remember where he came from. He spent his early years as an idolater, worshipping demons in the middle of Ur of the Chaldees. But yet, we read of the patriarchs, of Isaac and Jacob in Genesis. Oh, how much they fall and they fail. Genesis judges. Again and again, the people fall, the people fail. Oh, the wonderful grace of God that he does not forsake his promises or else they would be destroyed and consumed. In many ways, it's a genealogy of failure. The people do not fully take the land. The people turn their hearts away from the one true living God and worship idols. They worship the creator. I mean, they worship the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Oh, how easy it is to get their eyes off the one who brought them out of Egypt, who gave them promises upon promises. We read here, of course, of Solomon, whose heart was turned astray in his old age by his many wives and built altars to all the idols and demons of the nations. We read here, of course, of Manasseh, the king who was so horrible that the Lord said, now I will bring you into exile. For 70 years you shall be in the land of Babylon because your sin is so great that the very ground itself is crying out against you for the blood that you have shed. And then finally, Jehoiakim. The man who received a curse, or sorry, Jeconiah. Jeconiah, the man who received a curse from the Lord. We read about it in Jeremiah 22 and verse 30. The Lord says, thus says the Lord, write down this man childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days, for no man of his seed shall prosper, sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. The Lord sends a curse upon the line of kings. And in that moment, something, attention appears in Scripture. When you read that in Jeremiah, most of the time we start in the New Testament and we, of course, then read the Old Testament afterwards. And so we already know how God's going to get around it. But can you imagine hearing those words of Jeremiah at the time? God made a promise that the line of David would not end, that there would be a king that would sit upon the throne and rule and reign for all eternity. And yet now there is a curse that comes down upon the rightful king that none of his children will ever sit with the authority and power of kingship. Yes, some of his brothers reign. Yes, some of his sons appear as kings, but they're nothing more than puppets. The Babylonians are in control. Even his great-great-great-grandson, Zerubbabel, Yes, he's one of the leaders of the people of Israel at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, but he's not the king. He has no authority, he has no power. At the time of Jesus' birth, who is the king? 
obviously it's Caesar over in Rome, but his representative is Herod, an Edomite, a man who hates the Jews and the Jews hate him. The line of David appears to be over and a curse hangs upon the heads of the descendants of David. Though there seems to be great blessing, there is also great curse. But praise be to God who does not change his mind nor alter his word. Every time you read a genealogy, remember that this is the record of God's faithfulness. Even those genealogies all the way back in Numbers, what do they speak of? They speak of the promise God made to Abraham all those years ago as he was sitting outside his tent one night. And the Lord told him to go and to look up into the stars and to see all the stars and remember that his descendants will be more than all of them, more than the sand of the seashore, and that indeed through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. That that one that would come to crush the serpent's head would come through his descendants. And God does not lie. God does not make a promise that he does not keep His covenant is unbreakable. And so even though it seems humanly impossible with the Lord, nothing is impossible. The history of Israel speaks it out in the Old Testament. Again and again they fall and they fail, but what? The Lord keeps them. The Lord brings about revival. The Lord rescues them again and again and again because He will not break His promise. It's nothing in them. They don't deserve it. They deserve judgment. They deserve destruction. They're worse than the very nations God gave them to destroy because of their sin. But yet the Lord's word stands firm. And the Lord indeed will work all things for his glory. Oh, how wonderful how the Lord works these things out. Because the Lord knows what he is going. For this is the genealogy of Joseph. And most likely when you go over and you read the genealogy in Luke, you'll notice that at the time of David it separates. That there's another line there. Now there's some disagreement of exactly what that line is leading to, but I'm of the firm opinion that it's also Mary's line. The line of David continues, though not the royal line of kings, but yet the children of David, all the way down to you get to Mary, from whom Christ gets his humanity. For in the fullness of time, God took upon human flesh. The one who is eternal was born. The one who created all of creation entered down into creation and took his humanity from the Virgin Mary, thus being a son of David from Mary's genes. All the way back to her forefather, David. He is part of David's line, of David's genealogy. I'm missing the word that I'm looking for. Of David's genealogy. And yet, what also happens there? If this is the line of Joseph, what does Joseph do? Joseph comes as he was supposed to. He looks after Mary. And secondly, he also adopts Jesus. What does that do? Jesus is adopted by Joseph, the rightful king. He becomes Joseph's lawful son. And therefore, that line of kings, the kingship that is rightfully Joseph's, 
though he's under a curse, is given to Jesus who doesn't bear the curse. Jeremiah 22.30, what does it say? Thus saith the Lord, write this man childless. The man shall not prosper in his days, for no man of what? His seed shall prosper. Well, Jesus is not the seed of Joseph. He's the seed of Mary. And so by becoming adopted, he takes upon himself that title. He is the true king of Israel. He is the true son of David. And he can bear the kingship without the curse. Here comes the king. The one the people have been waiting for. And despite the fact that he will be rejected by the people, that does not make him any less the rightful king. But not just the king of the Jews, but the king of kings and lord of lords. The one who shows us indeed what a true king ought to be. For he indeed, if we are his, is our king, our lord and our master. This genealogy leads us down to Christ. It is a line of hope. It is a line of joy. Even as we come into the Christmas season, we remember that in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a virgin. He who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, that our sins might be forgiven, that we might be adopted, that we might be grafted in as it speaks in Romans. That He who is King and Lord might call us His brothers. That He who holds all the universe together might come down to us and invite us to feast at His table. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That Jesus would come. Even just that thought that Christ would take upon Himself humanity, that He'd enter down into time, enter down into this genealogy that we have for us here, both with those that stand out as beacons of faith and those that stand out as beacons of sin and destruction. And yet He would take that name upon Himself for what? To rescue us, to redeem us from our sin from the righteous justice of God, from hell itself that we also rightly deserve by our own sin. These are the genealogy. This is the genealogy of Christ our Savior. Do you know Him? Do you know this one, the son of David, the son of Abraham? This one who came that you might have life and have it eternally, have it abundantly. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Oh, flee unto the one who indeed bore sin on our behalf at Calvary. He cries out, Come unto me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We, as God's people, cry out, as it says in the end of the book of Revelation, the Spirit and the Bride, the Bride is the, the people of God, the church, cry out, come, come and drink of the living water. Come eat the bread of life. 
Come see Christ who was born in Bethlehem of Judea all those years ago for us and for our salvation, who died upon Calvary, whose body was broken and his blood was poured out so that we might be reconciled to God. Come see the one who entered into the line of David, the line of Abraham, the line of Adam, for us and for our salvation. He took on humanity that we might be saved. Oh, what joy and what wonder that Christ would do this even for us. As we come to genealogies in Scripture, especially this one in Matthew, let our hearts rejoice. God is faithful. My kids have a little storybook, and there's a little story on one page, and on the second page is, God is faithful. Is the, is the, it's the main point of all the little stories. But oh, how wonderful it is and how true. God is faithful. If he says it, he means it. And he will not take it back. His promises are yes and amen. And oh, what a comfort that is for us. As a final thought, as we are gathering around for communion in a few moments, we remember, yes, the first advent, the coming of Christ, born of Mary, laying in a manger. We think of the crucifixion and all that was accomplished there, but our eyes look forward to the second coming of Christ, the second advent. We cry, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. And as Paul mentions in Thessalonians, God has said that the coming of Christ is soon. Well, what does soon mean? People in Thessalonica, where is he? Where is he? Paul responds, God has said he will come, and therefore we wait. A thousand, day, a thousand years is like a day, a year. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm tired. I have sick kids. I apologize. Um, a year is like a thousand. No, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Thank you very much. Should probably end now. <laughs> but we wait upon the Lord. We cry, Maranatha, Lord, come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Oh, we long to meet you in the air. Oh, how we long for that day. And while we wait, we trust in your word. We trust in your promises. We trust indeed that you will never leave us nor forsake us. We trust of the grace and the mercy that is ours in Christ Jesus. And we strive to point others to him who sought us and bought us. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you. Oh, what joy is ours because Christ came. In the fullness of time, you sent forth your Son. Oh, what it means that he took upon humanity yet without sin to do what we could never do, perfectly fulfilling all the law and the prophets, all the commandments, Spotless. And going to Calvary and bearing what we could never bear, our sin upon his shoulders. Oh Lord, the weight, the depths, that which deserves eternal hell, bore by the spotless Son, the Lamb who comes to take away the sin of the world. Oh, deep in our faith. 
Deepen our wonder and our joy. Deepen our trust. For you keep your word, O Lord. You do not lie. You make a promise, you will keep it. And Lord, we rest in your word. We rest in your grace and your mercy. Lord, whatever our past, with sin and shames, joy and sorrows, we thank you that we may stand before you in the name of Christ, dressed in his righteousness alone, spotless to stand before your throne. Lord, in Jesus' name we come before you, and in his name we pray. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.